so we're in the New Testament in this the first one of the first couple of books of the New Testament, Mark. Mark nine. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been, asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, my name's Chris, and I work with college students at Wake Forest. And go Deeks. And um, really uh, a proud member of this church. And so it's great to see you um, again, and welcome to you if this is your first time here or one of your first times. We're really grateful um, to be able to share this space with you. And if you haven't been here, um, what we've been doing for the last few months as a church during this time of our service is exploring some of the uh, elements of like ordinary Christian life and seeing that there are actually these extraordinary practices. And so we've been looking at scripture and generosity and worship and the sacraments and community and all these kinds of things. And um, we might call those things acts of faith, that they're things that people of faith do. you know, most people don't get together and sing songs early on the Sunday mornings to a, you know, to a screen. That's not what most people are doing in our community um, that aren't at church this morning. Why is it that we get together and sing? The only other time we get together and sing is like at a football game, something like that. And so, um, and so we would say these are things that people of faith do, but it can beg the question for us, what, is, what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean... Um, to be a person of faith. And I, um, 
I don't know what you think it's like for people to like stand up and, and preach at church on Sunday. Um, you may feel like those people, that person has the answers, or you may be really cynical, um, and I find myself usually somewhere in between. But um, most of the time that I do this, I'm like, I don't know the answer to the question that I just posed at the beginning of the sermon. I am really often struggling to know what it means to have faith and hoping that Jesus will show up to me and to you and to give us some insight into that. And so this morning, I would you want to know what does it mean to have faith? Um, because I think that most of what I think about faith um, is pretty unsatisfying. And we have this story here of Jesus and this father talking about faith. This father comes to Jesus. He has a great need. His son has a demon that is making him produce these symptoms of what we might call epileptic symptoms. That he's falling on the ground, foaming at the mouth and all this. And he desperately comes to Jesus asking him for help. And he says to Jesus, you know, if you can, please do this. My read on that is that he thinks that Jesus is probably willing to help him. Jesus seems like a nice person, but he's not sure if he can. So if you can, would you please help us? And Jesus takes this opportunity to talk to this guy about faith. And he says, if you can, air quotes, anything's possible for someone who believes. That's where I start to feel pretty cynical. I'm like, I've been believing for a while. It doesn't feel like anything's possible for me. Um, and this father responds with what we usually think is the opposite of faith. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. What he's saying is that it's possible for him to both believe and disbelieve. To both be a person of faith and a person of doubt. I believe. Help my unbelief. The reason why we don't, um, why I don't usually define faith that way is because I generally think that faith is, uh, maybe it's intellectual certainty. Like, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that these things are true, that the Bible is true, that Jesus is real, all that. Or we think that faith is emotional certainty. So I come to church, or I go to a, a ministry, or I listen to music in my car, and I have this deep emotional resonance and I feel like yes God is real this is all true because my emotions are telling me that it's true um, I have a friend actually that that was their they had a long history in the church for decades and then one day they came to church and they didn't have that resonance anymore so they were like well I guess I don't believe anymore and they kind of walked away in, in their own way or we think that um, faith is moral consistency so I always do these acts of love and service, and I'm good. I do these things that God says to do, and I don't do these other things that God says I shouldn't do. And if that's the case, if faith for us or for you is intellectual certainty or emotional certainty or like moral consistency, then it's a hard place to be. Because if you ever doubt or you ever read something that questions the intellectual integrity of your faith, or you have a negative emotion, or you're not feeling it, or you screw up and do something really majorly wrong, your faith is in question. But I think that Jesus actually has good news for us, and this father of this son actually has good news for us. And that's that at, at its core, 
Faith isn't about how much you know or what you feel or what you do. Actually, faith isn't really even about you or me at all. Um, Our uh, theological document that our church holds as like the summary statement that has a question and it says, what is faith? And this is the answer. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Faith is receiving and resting on Jesus. And that's all I want to look at with you, that faith is receiving and faith is resting and see how Jesus invites us into that in this passage. Um, what this father is sort, of, is sort of saying when he comes to Jesus and the way that Jesus responds to him shows that it's not how uh, deeply um, we have faith, how big our faith is, how little our faith is, how strong our faith is, how weak our faith is, how consistent our faith is, how inconsistent our faith is. But actually, it's, faith is about where we are placing our faith, where we are receiving from. Faith actually isn't something that you do. Faith is receiving something that our, Jesus already did. And so when I, when I think about how to, when I'm, I'm struggling with this, and I'm like, do I even believe any of this stuff? Um, I, come, I come back to thinking of this thought, that my faith is all about the object of my faith and not about my ability to believe well. Faith in some ways is like a straw. Um, if you go get a smoothie, I don't know where the best place to get a smoothie in Winston is. Maybe it's juice shop. I'm told they put ice cream in the smoothie. Is that the case? Sherbert. Wow. There's a whole of the audience out here. But Luke said it, and I believe you every time you say something. So be careful with that. So let's say you go to the juice shop in Thruway Village, Thruway Center, and um, you have this delicious, nutritious smoothie filled with sherbet. Um, you may have a smoothie straw, like the big fat smoothie straw that you can get the bubble tea up in. Um, you may have a regular straw. You may have a coffee stirrer straw. So you might be getting a lot of that smoothie, or you might be getting a little of the smoothie. But the straw itself is not what is nourishing you or bringing you delight or filling your mouth with delicious goodness. The smoothie is the thing that you want. The delivery system may be big or small, but it's simply how we access the smoothie. Maybe you don't drink smoothies, okay? Um, But maybe you've had to go and had to receive um, a blood transfusion at some point in your life, and you get connected to the IV cable. The IV hose is not what is giving you life. It's the bag of blood. Or maybe you have a computer charger and you want to charge your computer. The thing that is giving your computer a charge is not the charger, but, of course, the electricity in the wall. Jesus is the source, the only real source, of spiritual life and forgiveness and freedom. And some people, at times in their life, have great access to that. And some people, at other parts of our life, have what feels like a small access to that. There's a woman uh, in Mark's gospel that has been bleeding for 12 years. 
And she sees Jesus in a crowd, and she says, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. That person had the big old fat bubble tea straw connected to Jesus. And I think this father at this point, as he comes to Jesus, he's feeling like his ability to draw upon Jesus is small. But what the reality is, is that Jesus is the one who's offering himself to us. Some of us are miserable. You know, it's interesting. I'm like, why do people go to church? I still don't have it quite figured out. I didn't grow up in this, so it doesn't feel like wrote to me in my body. When I was a child, I didn't come to this thing. And I'm like, most of the time, I'm like, why are we here? Because I actually think that most of the time, or much of, I won't say most, that's me projecting on you. Um, Much of the time, coming to church actually makes us more miserable. And most of the things that we do in life are not designed to make us more miserable. Um, Some of us, we, we come to church and then we say, I am not as sure as this other person was, and we feel insecure about our faith. Or we're reminded again of the ways that we have failed. Or we just didn't resonate, and we haven't been resonating for years with what's happening in this room. We're thinking about, is my faith good enough? Do I know enough? Do I feel enough? We come to places like this, and we plug the charger into the computer. And somehow we never plug the charger into the wall. We don't have power because we're not plugged into the source because we've become so focused on ourselves and our ability to believe. And what Jesus does is the way that he interacts with this person, this man becomes free to say, I do believe. There's part of me that really believes, and that's why I'm coming to you. And there's part of me that I need help believing. We often don't taste the sweetness because we haven't plunged the straw into the smoothie. We aren't experiencing healing because we aren't connected to the blood. Faith is receiving from Jesus that spiritual life and freedom and forgiveness. So faith is a receiving. It's not about our faith itself. It's about the object of our faith, what is offered to us. But faith is also resting. Resting in what? Faith is simply resting that Jesus is able to do the things that he says that he can do and that he's willing to do the things that he says that he wants to do. Jesus took this opportunity with this man to talk about faith because I think the man thought that Jesus wanted to but wasn't able. But regardless of how well this father believed, this is, this is the important, if you like zoned out to this point, this is the important part. How well this father believed, how robustly, how imperfectly, whatever, had absolutely no effect on Jesus' ability to cast out this demon or his willingness to cast out this demon. Um, this stuff is hard to believe. Like, on, like, this morning I was reading this passage, and I'm like, I'm going to talk about this this morning with God's people And honestly, when I read these passages, the longer the time gets from the time of the resurrection to today, the more I feel like these things are unlikely to happen. Where I'm like, I wish that Jesus was doing this stuff now. But I don't know that I could convince you that he's able and willing to do the things that he says in the Gospels. There's this song by Sufjan Stevens, and he's talking about this person that he loves that is dying. 
And it has this haunting line where it says, Tuesday night at the Bible study, we lift our hands and pray over your body, but nothing ever happens. Um, This is hard to believe. These miracles don't seem to happen in our lives, so what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to rest? What Jesus is inviting us to do is to rest in his ability, to actually be in a place where we say, this seems super unlikely to happen, and yet I'm going to give myself to resting anyway. Resting, if you think about what resting is, it's you're all doing it right now. You're exercising tremendous faith this morning, not because you are so morally or spiritually attuned, which you all are, but because you're sitting on a chair. You have given yourself, your full self, over to this chair. Have you thought about that? You may be anxious about the chair now, anxious about the chair that you are sitting on. Is this chair able to hold me? Um, You may have not thought about this chair at all, which is the case for pretty much all of us. But the fact is, whether you believe strongly in this chair or just a little bit, the chair is capable of holding you up. It hasn't failed yet, as far as I know this morning. We place our rest in Jesus because he's able. There are things that Jesus can do that none of us can do, no matter how hard we try, no matter how good we are, like raise the dead. Um, I, I work with RUF at Wake Forest, but I used to work with RUF at Appalachian State University. Go Mountaineers. And I had this friend, he worked for the football, he had worked for the athletic department, and they played Miami one year, and I really wanted to go, but I wasn't willing to pay what it cost to go. And uh, so I said, hey, can you help me out? And he said, yeah, yeah, just meet me at the gate. So I met him at the side gate. It was a big deal. Miami was playing in Boone. And uh, when I got to the gate, he had a lanyard around his neck with a pass on it, an all-access pass to the football complex. And he took it off, and he put it on me. And he said, have a good time. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Um, Which I took seriously, okay? And I could go up to the sixth floor where all the free food is, I could have gone to the coach's box and watched the calling plays. I could have gone on the field if I wanted to, um, but I didn't try that one because I didn't feel uh, confident because there's a picture on it and it didn't look at all like me. Um, <laughs> but he's a really nice looking guy. And uh, a couple of times, people looked at me funny and I went like this. And then they said, okay. You may come by. There was absolutely nothing that I did to warrant the ability to get where I wanted to. I simply had the pass. I simply was resting on someone else's credentials. That someone that was actually able to go places that I could not go. Uh, Jesus is able to do things that we are unable to do. He, in this passage, speaks to a demon and says, you mute and deaf spirit, come out of him and never enter him again. And it responded. It had to. Because his voice, as we just, on our call to worship, his voice is the one that breaks the cedars. His voice is the one that when it speaks, things happen and that the spiritual and the physical world have to respond. He told a, a little dead girl to wake up from death. And she did. He said, she's just sleeping and everyone laughed at him. 
And then he said, little girl, arise. He spoke to death and it responded. He told a man next to him on the cross, you will be with me today in paradise. And he was. Even as he was breathing his own last breath. Jesus talked to weather and it obeyed. We, we rest that Jesus is able. But maybe more importantly that we rest, and this is, this is sort of the end here, that Jesus is willing to do the things that he promises to do. Um, my children often ask me to spell words for them. They say, they're, maybe they're writing a card to someone or they're doing something, and they say, how do you spell gasoline? And I'm like, why are we spelling gasoline? Um, I want to, like, are you filling out a form? Like, what is, what's happening? Um, they ask me to spell words because they pretty much believe that I know how to spell, um, that I'm able to spell words. Um, I am, I don't know, you think, you think I'm a better speller or you? Oh, <laughs> I'm the second best speller in my house. Um, I take issue with that, but we'll have a spelling bee later. They believe that I'm able to spell the words, but more importantly, they believe that I, that I want to spell the words correctly for them, that I'm willing to spell the words, that I'm not going to set them up to turn in a paper that is spelled incorrectly, that I intend them good and not evil, that I intend them blessing and not a curse. And another word for that is trust. Trusting that the person that we're resting upon is able to do what we're asking them to do and is willing, that wants to. They trust me because I've shown that I'm trustworthy for the most part. And how does that trust grow? It grows because they've asked me again and again and again to spell words and they have not found themselves to be disappointed, that I'm able and that I'm willing to do it. And look, we can trust Jesus. Um, we can trust that he is able to work in our lives and to fix a broken world because he rose from the dead. Because he died and he came back to life and now reigns over death. That happened. The more that you study it and explore it, the more that your certainty will grow. But we can trust him because he is able to raise the dead. And you can trust that he is willing because he went to the cross in the first place. When you think like, like why, why, would, why would I trust that Jesus wants to do this thing in the world, this thing in my life? It's because he went to the cross. He hasn't broken a promise yet. And that's why we do all this repetitive stuff. Because you just heard me say that the reason why you can trust Jesus is because two things that happened a long, long, long time ago. He rose from the dead and he went to the cross. And so as we close and we think about faith, I don't, um, and I'm like, then we just keep coming and doing the same things over and over again. And that might sound disappointing. So what I want to do instead is I want to meditate on a song with you. Make sure I have the time to do this. Oh, yeah. Um, you're like, oh, do you? Um, I'm not sure I would have looked at the clock and had the same takeaway you did, my friend. Um, but sometimes you listen to songs and you're like, is this song about a girl or is this song about God? You know? And those are the best songs because um, they can almost always be about God. Okay? And, um, and they can almost always be about a girl too. If that's, you know. 
But my favorite girl or God song is In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. Um, I've listened to Christian music in my day. I'll admit it. And I have found nothing of the spiritual resonance that resides within this song when it comes to God. Um, This is a picture of faith growing. And so I just want to... honestly read these things to you to hopefully help us begin to um, connect with the reality of faith. You got me, Quinn? Oh, hey! All right. All right, this is is some lines from In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. Um, And I, I want you to imagine yourself singing this with God. Some of you guys are like, why is this person talking? All right. Um, Love, I get so lost sometimes. Days pass and this emptiness fills my heart. When I want to run away, I drive off in my car. But whichever way I go, I come back to the place you are. So coming back to the place where God is, no matter how hard he's run. And all my instincts, they return. And the grand facade so soon will burn. Without a noise, without my pride, I reach out from the inside. In your eyes, the light, the heat. In your eyes, I am complete. In your eyes, I see the doorway to a thousand churches. In your eyes, the resolution of all the fruitless searches. Oh, I see the light and the heat. I want to be that complete. I want to touch the light, the heat I see in your eyes. Lord Jesus, um, I think about this father who was helpless to help his son, and he came to you believing and unbelieving and in great need, and Lord, I wonder what he saw in your eyes as you spoke to him. Um, I think he saw light and heat. He found you to not just be able to cast this demon out of his son, but willing. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to reach out to you from the inside. Um, That we would find our longings in you, the resolution to all of our fruitless searches. Um, That you would do that for us now as we are with you in prayer. That you would do that in us at the table. And all the things that, like, quote-unquote people of faith do, would you meet us in them? Lord, I pray that you would unpollute the eye of our heart by which we see you. Uh, That you would help our unbelief. Help us to see you. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.